Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Pure Hope with your host, Reverend Janice Hope Gorman. Hope is the name the angels gave Reverend Gorman. Help open planetary eyes. And that's what we hope to do on Pure Hope. Thank you for joining us. Well, welcome to our live program this evening. This is our 12th program, 20 hits later, and soon we are at a full year. For once a month, bringing you information from some very interesting, dedicated teachers and healers and helpers across the nation. We also went international during this last year with Chris Emanuel, who called uh, from Canada. And so this has been a wonderful, wonderful year. I just wanted to tell just a little story about how this even began. And I'll tell you the reason why is because the woman that we will be speaking with live tonight is one of those women who have also, just like I, have heard Spirit speak to them. And she began to follow Spirit when Spirit asked her to do Um, things such as this program. So I appreciate her yes, her yes to this program. For me, what happened as this program began is all of a sudden um, what I heard one day when I was packing up my bags ready to go after a full day is I heard a voice speak to me that spoke to me that just said, I love you. I love you, Janice. I love you. And what I had heard after that was please begin to bring information over the radio. I, of course, said, what? Because I had never done a radio program, never wanted to do a radio program, never thought I could do a radio program. But I did hear those words, I love you, Janice. Please begin to bring information over the radio. I remember that day because it was a glorious, cold, sun-drenched Friday afternoon, and I started to close up the center for the week. My mind and heart became all of a sudden just consumed with this, what I call this absolute perfection of that moment. I felt surrounded by an intense feeling of love. I certainly was supported from my guides, my angels, my holy ones. And I felt like I was being drawn into almost an indescribable feeling of joy. I felt, I remember that I was quite giddy. And yet I could also feel within myself resistance. Then I heard the next words, which were, Do not fear. I go before you always. Come follow me, and I will take you home. Next, with every breath of my being, I became detached from myself. I became detached from my resistance. And in each of my breaths and out-breaths and in-breaths, the I, the Janus, the I within me, began to disappear. And I guess I would call that the small I. Just simply began to disappear and the only awareness that I felt at that moment was the energy of us, was the energy of unity consciousness. This voice definitely got my attention. It wasn't audible, but it was there speaking and it spoke into my heart and perhaps even from my own heart. And it surely wasn't my thoughts because I am a very busy woman. I've always been busy and I couldn't even begin to see how I was going to do this program. 
So on one hand, I was surprised. On the other hand, I was not because I had been practicing at that particular time, which I began to pick up again, a highly devotional form of energy work of entering into the oneness. The voice kept speaking to me as I continued to end my busy week here at the Hope Interfaith Center, and I heard many things from my guides. But hearing this, I became uh, a bit concerned. The concern was who would be on the program, who would say yes to the program, how long would the program have to be, The voice began to tell me that I would receive the help that I needed to get this going. This is where I must once again thank my beloved helpers. Tom Westland is our program director, and I can count how many times that he has helped me move through our first year and through my fear and through my confusion. So I do want to take just a moment to thank Tom, and I know you're listening from the bottom of my heart. I thank you. I thank you. I must also give credit for this whole complete year to my consistent, loving, loyal assistant, Jody Schultz, for helping me with all the things she does. I was also told by this voice of love who told me to do the radio program that I would be assisted by having people say yes to being on this show. All of a sudden, my what-ifs went away. And I feel more secure today than I've ever been. Why? Because all of my guests that I have had presented month after month amazing information, amazing um, guidance that has helped many people. We are at the Hope Interface Center, have had wonderful feedback about all of these programs. I thank you for that feedback. Now on this program tonight, I received yet another I'm going to start crying. Yet another wonderful yes from a woman that I have deeply admired for many years because I've read her material. I've heard about her from other friends, but I've never met her. And I believe that tonight we have the ability to change your world uh, view with this interview that we will be having. When I asked uh, her to be on the program, she immediately said yes. I would love to do your program. Before I tell you more about her, I want you to know that we are indeed recording live. Um, I should be on the show live, and we encourage you to give us a call, and this is the number, 213-559-2974. If you have any comments or questions for our guest tonight, she would be more than willing to share with you her wisdom. Once again, that number is 213-559-2974. Then what I'd like you to do is press the number one. Tom will answer, and we will try to get to you as soon as possible. So now, after all that, I'm going to tell you who our guest is tonight. Our guest tonight is Dr. Carol Parrish. She is a mystic, an author, a teacher, a counselor, minister, and a powerful leader within the spiritual community. After a lifetime of study and teaching, Carol rejoices in sharing with others who want to deepen their awareness of spirit. Dr. Carol Parrish began her intense quest for spiritual awareness in 1965. A near-death experience at the age of 23 triggered her spiritual hunger 
Since then, Parrish has studied with many, many knowledgeable teachers in a wide range of subjects and in the field of self-realization. Dr. Carol Parrish was ordained in 1971. She left a very promising business career to devote herself to her ministry and to lecture in human potential movement. Through the years, so many of her students have become teachers and ministers. She is known as the master teacher of teachers. Having directed the Villa Serena and Community at Sarasota, Florida for several years, she was then led by Spirit in 1981 to establish the community of Sparrowhawk Village in the foothills of the Ozark near Taliqua. I'm going to tell her to tell us a little bit of story about that, Oklahoma, where she served as founder and president of Light of Christ Community Church an academic dean of Sancta Sophia Seminary for 30 years until her retirement. She has received many prestigious awards for her lifetime of service, just to name a few because there is a long list. In 2005, she received the International uh, Nibosen Medal in St. Petersburg, Russia, for outstanding service in the field of education for the common good of humanity. In 1997 to 98, also received the Earl Award for Religious Futurists of the Year for exceptional achievement in the field of religious futures activities. She was only the second woman to be presented this award. She was especially cited for organizing the 1996-97 International Conferences for the World Network of Religious Futurists in India the USA, and England, out of which was created the Association of Spiritual Academy uh, uh, International. Dr. Parrish derives great pleasure from sharing with others, and she's a highly sought after for lecture and workshop leader on both the national and international circuit. She has taken others to many countries, including Canada, Peru, Tibet, China, Israel, Korea, Japan, the USSR, Turkey, and many others. She did lecturing, teaching, and the leadings of groups. So it is indeed a great honor to present and talk to our guest tonight, Dr. Carol Parrish. Good evening, Dr. Parrish. Good evening. When you say all of that, my pictures <laughs> sort of flash before my eyes, and I think it's so much fun to remember all the travel and a lot of the people I have met. And I, I want to just imagine that all of these people are just standing someplace, shining like light, opening up to their spiritual thought. And I'm sure that's how you feel about your students and the people you've had contact with, that the work is just to turn on the whole world to be a whole lot of enlightened individuals that want to see our world turn into a ball of light, a, a domain of one humanity in such a way that, uh, that we can only envision it now in our mind's eye. But that's our goal, and I'm sure that's your goal, and other teachers that are working so hard to bring 
wisdom teachings or ancient wisdom or however they want to call it to the hearts and minds of people that we are so much more than we sometimes realize. And it's wonderful to find people that are doing the work you are and having people on the radio and standing there telling, sharing, and introducing people to new ideas and that will make their life better. That makes our world so much better. And I love the fact that your name, the angels gave you, was hope. Uh, that's what my heart fills with hope when I think about that. And and what a fortunate thing for us to get together and to be doing something like this tonight and sharing with people that from wherever they are that they too can get on the bandwagon and we'll all march in the light together. <laughs> I love that statement. Can you can you tell us a little bit? I I kind of mumbled over your uh, place where you live in Oklahoma. Can you tell us the correct pronunciation and what that means? We were talking about that before. It's I live in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, and Tahlequah means two is enough. And there's a little legend that that before uh, the. Cherokee Indians were forced out west, that their holy men told them it was going to happen, and that they were he sent out three, they're called Katuas, their holy men, to go find the right spot where the Cherokee were to move to. And the three were to go by different routes, and wherever they met was where the new home of the Cherokees would be. Well, they all three went out, and finally, in due time, two of them met. But the third one didn't come and didn't come, and they waited a while. And then word came to them that he had been ambushed and killed. And so the two said, two is enough, Tali Kwa. And this is where they claimed their land. And then in a few years, when the government was going to move them out, they had already established a location to go to. And so this is the end of the Trail of, Tree, Trail of Tears, and it is the capital of the Cherokee Indian Nation. And wow. so it's got a rich history, and it's a wonderful place to live. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, I have a question already for you. Are you willing to take a question this early in the program? Well, I, was telling, I was telling you that um, this has never happened before, so you're already creating a vortex. So I'm going to um, snap on. Hello, Mel. Hi, Janice. How are you? I am good. I'm good. Thank you for calling. You have a question for Carol? I do. Um, I I, hello. My family and I have, hello, how are you? I am very fine. What can Good. I do for um, you? I, I've been seeing Janice for the last year or so, and um, I just wanted to call in to get your perspective as well. Um, my family just recently went through, I would say fairly recently, gone through kind of a traumatic event psychologically. Um, and I can be more specific if you'd want to, but I'm just, we're trying to end, um, end, kind of this, all of this yuck, and move forward. Um, my husband was able to get a different job, and he's um, in 
litigation with his employer, he's asking them to walk away and they won't let him walk away. I'm just wondering if you had any insight or, I don't know, feeling or thoughts with that. My feeling is that to them they feel he's very valuable and I feel like he's going to have to, um, I want to say make peace in his heart that as he comes to a place of settles in himself uh, where he understands, I think he has to come to understand they think of him as valuable, they, they do value him, and that he is going to settle it in a nice way and he's going to be able to walk away, as you call it, in a little bit. But there's going to be a period of time that they have to do some negotiating and he needs people that like him to support him during this time because he he is going to have, well, he already, it's like he already has um, so much stress that he needs to go be able to relax that, to let it go. And it's like when he finally takes a breath and goes, I've done all I can do, that's it. Then it kind of falls away and is settled. Mm-hmm. Is did I did I make it clear what I was trying to say to you? Yes. Well, they they fired him, but you know he's he wants to walk away. He's in the arbitration, but he's trying to end it, and they just they want they to be won't right. End it yet? Yeah. Okay. Well, I feel like they have to hold. They're wanting to hold on to him. They really want what he knows. They, it's you know they don't want him, him to to use that with anybody else. Yep, and so that's true. <laughs> okay, that's yep. what they're after. They're trying to find a way to to keep him captured that way. And I think yes. he's just have to you know not don't, just act like it doesn't matter for a little bit yep. and let it cool, okay. calm down, cool down. Okay, but all right, you know that is he's valuable to them, and they know it. Yes, they they want me to sign a settlement for a hundred dollars, so I don't sue them or say anything either. I wouldn't do that. I am not <laughs> at all. So, okay, thank you very much. You're certainly welcome. Thanks, Mel, for calling. Yep, yep. I'll see you Friday. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. I think you did a, um, yeah, I think it's true when you said sometimes we need to let go, take a breath and go, huh, you know, that it's that it's done, that it's over. So, well, the first question that I have for you tonight, um, then I have another question to ask you right away from another caller. But the first thing that when I began the blog talk um, show this evening, telling our audience how spirit led me to do this radio show, the one thing that I've always known about reading your personal story and knowing your personal story is that you also had been led by spirit as well. Um, would you just like to tell the audience just a little bit about how you began your journey or what happened after that near-death experience you had? Well, I'd be glad to, and I'll try to make it quick. I had the near-death experience, and I... Uh, it was during childbirth, and then I came home, and my lungs collapsed, and so I was weak for a while. And I uh, had several, I, my, 
the baby was my sixth child at 23, and wow. so my health was very fragile. I um, had to be still a lot, and I didn't know the words meditation or anything about that, but I started just sitting quietly, and and I later learned this was meditation. My husband at the time was a fireman. This I am enjoying my second marriage now. My first marriage, he was a fireman, and every other day he would work and be away. And so it would be very quiet. I'd get the kids to bed. I'd sit there, and, and spirit began to talk to me. And I had never, no one had ever told me anything about this. I didn't even know. So, you know, the whole experience was one that frightened my family. Uh, no one knew about near-death experiences in 1958. So they were all kind of askew looking at me, thinking there was something wrong. So I didn't tell them what spirit was telling me. So I did this for seven years with being taught by spirit. Then the occasion came where... I heard a man, I went to a place to hear a lecture, and the man that gave the lecture turned on a, to a large um, whiteboard, blackboard in those days, and he wrote, tonight we're going to lecture on astral travel. And I thought, oh my gosh, another travelogue. <laughs> and then he began to talk about astral travel. And I thought, oh, my God, that's what happens to me. So I spoke to him briefly. I asked for a card. I got his card, and it was, I lived in Dunedin, Florida at that time, and he was in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is probably 50 miles. So a few months later, I was in, for business, I was in St. Petersburg on a uh, program, and then when it was over, I decided I would go to this address and see if I could see him. When I went there, and it turned out it was a church, and it had a big sign out there that said, Psychic Fair. I didn't even know what psychic meant. So I walked in the door, and there was a lady sitting in a chair, got up, walked over to me, and she said, I've been waiting for you. And I said, no, ma'am, nobody knows I was coming here. And she said, I knew it. Come and talk to me for a minute. Well, I thought, there's something wrong with this little lady. Somebody will come and get her, you know. So I sat down beside her, and she started telling me all about my life and about my office and where I worked and so forth. And, and so I jumped up and ran out of there. But that was the, the beginning of May. I went to confession. I talked to the priest, and he said, did you see a psychic? I said, I don't even know what that means. But that was the beginning of my study, and I studied with um, three major teachers, Ann Manser, who was in Dunedin, Florida, Osmar, Florida, and uh, Vera Stanley Alder in England, London and Bournemouth, and then Torquem Saradarian in California. But I've been fortunate to have 
some opportunity to rub shoulders with many of the good, good and great teachers in this country. But what I learned is the, the good teachers are always honest. They're always simple in themselves. They are always willing to share. And they really want to make a difference. And I think this is, this is the mark of spirit. And I don't think that, um, I guess the Dalai Lama is probably the picture of the model teacher. <laughs> that we'd all could be so, and you know the new Pope is like that, Pope Francis. His simplicity. He, so people share their spirituality in a lot of different ways. But they're all come back to being simple, clear, honest individuals that want to see the world be a better place. Um, just well, I was you know, reading, just, yes. Mm-hmm. I was reading something of yours, and I think it was a topic where you said, "No glamour, please." Um, and yeah. I love, and I love that about you, and I love that about teaching because sometimes in uh, spirituality, and when one becomes a spiritual teacher, a spiritual healer, so on and so forth, that their ego can get involved, and their plume feathers begin to bust open, and and um, so that's what I've always loved about reading your material, and the women and men I've talked to about you have always said that there's a humbleness that you hold, um, and that it is that our work is simple and and it's to remain humble, it's to remain humble. So I, I appreciate that about you. Well, I believe that uh, when spirit picks us, we have to really understand that, you know, it goes back to have no other God before you. That if, if you really stand to work with God and want to do that, nothing can be between us and the great one, and we have to have our lives organized in such a way that anything we try to put between us and God is God's going to push it away. It's going to be just moved, or we're going to lose our work. And uh-huh. so I think we have to learn that there is a value system that we have to align with, and then no matter what, you know, I have a friend in the Minneapolis area that is an artist, and she's just as sincere in a spiritual way about her art, and she calls herself a sacred artist because she's just as genuine, and what she does is for the honor and glory of God, just like we teach other people. I have a friend that passed away this year that was an artist in painting, and she sacrificed in her life. Money, fame, uh, family, a lot of things just so she could paint because she felt like that was her work. So I think when we give ourselves to spirit, we don't necessarily know where it's going to go, but we have to always place that first in our heart and mind. Uh And we're lucky when we have husbands and families that go along with us and that understand that that's the way it works. Very much so, very much so. This is a question, uh, Carol, from Chandra in in Idaho, and I think it 
kind of fits right in with what we're seeing as we're kind of being called by spirit to do our work. And her question is right now, uh, Chandra, who is currently teaching at a university, in her earlier years, she was a nun at a monastery. Her question is, would this be a good time to go back to being a nun? Well, I'm almost can't tell you. It's just psychic. I just feel it is overpoweringly. A call is going out to a new kind of nun, a new kind. There's a new new organization called the Free Catholic Movement, and it is it is really moving the Catholic Church in the third millennium to be a new kind of. Catholic organization. There are 17 different kinds of Catholic organizations besides Roman Catholic, and most people don't even know that. But there is a call that comes from spirit to women to be nuns once more. And hmm. and but it isn't just nuns. I want I want take that word and make it women priests. The it is only right and just in this third this millennium now, third millennium of the church, to have priests of both genders. It's part of the Aquarian age to honor both and to recognize the equality that the church taught in its early days. But societies were not ready, and women weren't ready. Women could hardly read and write in many, many places. So now I think she should look into being a woman priest and all, see all of the years she spent getting ready. She has wonderful skills and a spirituality that could serve many with the rest of her life. Oh, oh. I love that answer, and I, I do believe that the, we've talked about how the divine feminine is so powerful right now, and, and I agree with you completely that I think that there's a clearing call coming out to many, many, many women um, who are being called to do their take their place in the world to do love and light and to bring that to the planet, so... Um, I hope that answers your question, Chandra. If you have another one, you can certainly call in. Again. The other question is once I was reading again your, your website and that you speak on a topic that says mystics as a force of change. It's another statement that I loved. Can you tell me Thank a bit you. more about what that means, what those words mean, mystics as a force for change? A mystic is someone that testifies to the dimensions of having many planes, that this isn't the only one, that there is a, a spirit world, there is other dimensions besides this one, because they've experienced it. So as they bring their understanding, let's say, of the astral plane or the mental plane or the spiritual intuitive plane, as they bring that they get they receive little gems of awareness at that level they bring them down just like what i was just saying about and you said about the call for women to come to serve that doesn't start at this dimension it starts at another dimension and that call 
works its way, vibrating heavier and heavier till it gets down to the physical dimension. And then we begin to pick that up in our inner senses or sometimes, like tonight, we're talking about it in a public way. But though that energy has touched the physical dimension now, calling women to make a change in their life and to begin to envision themselves as more than they've ever been before. They are now moving to be women priests. They're women in politics. They're women ambassadors. Women are being called, and very much this century, to take up the roles because, for one thing, men are tired. Men have carried the mass of the burdens for some centuries. I had a man talk to me one day, and he said, from the time I was a small boy, my parents would always say to me, you have to grow up and have some some kind of job or work or career that could support your family. And he said, I have all my life known I had to work the rest of my life to take care of a wife and children. Well, I think men have grown tired of that. We're seeing it, our young men. They're they're not as eager as they used to be, and women have the eagerness. Excuse me. So I think they're balancing this out. But I think the time has come for women to step forward and to utilize their creativity, their intuitiveness, their skills, their people skills, their relationship skills, their love skills in such a way that men get a little easier life and they balance it out between the two of them and between the two genders in the country. Uh And our society will be better balanced. Uh And the regard, you know, that that respect for women will evolve and we'll get through this period. This is a hard period of time for society, but it's rapidly moving to let the feminine come to the foreground. You know, when the, the um, Olympics were on and we were seeing the men in the races where there was one set where the three would go together and every once in a while the front one would move to the back and the second one would lead a while. And then when the, after so many minutes he moved to the back, that's what we have to do in our society. We have to be able to let people uh, play the part they can do the best, but then they can also have a support person and they can rest and the support person leads the work or leads the game or leads the family. And life works in such a way as to help our society now come to a better understanding of the of each of the roles, the male role and the female role, using both sides of their nature. We're each male and female. Uh-huh. And, you know, we have to use both sides of our own nature to feel completely whole and and strong, and I think our society's just matured enough to come to this awareness and the opportunity to do it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, 
I think that's a wonderful statement. And um, if Chandra is still listening from Idaho, you can certainly call back at, with the, any other questions you might have for Carol, because I know, I think this is a Chandra that I know from um, Idaho, that she's a very, very powerful woman and is uh, wanting to go forward in her life. So um, I just wanted to mention that. The other thing that we had talked about too, Carol, is that you are a woman who is not afraid to talk about sex, passion, and love. So since this is the month of love, can you share with us how esoteric teachings show us how passion and love have true purpose in our lives? Yes. Um, The idea of sex and esoteric teaching is that this is a, a kind of flame or fervor that is placed in our body, first for, of course, the propagation of the sex. That's true. The human race has to produce children so that to keep itself going. And that's its first reason. But the second reason is this is part of the passion that lives within us that eventually becomes the kundalini. We have to remember that this is like a little pilot light in ourself. And then we fall in love and the passion and and partnership of our with our sweetheart begins to stimulate that and it's like the the flame comes up higher and then maybe that romance doesn't work then we have another one but we keep stimulating this fire in us and eventually it will begin to to keep us in a state of love warmth we begin to be a more caring person we begin to if we know the chakra system begins its development in such a way and then it flares up and it divides, it burns through, if I can call it that, uh, a lock between the solar plexus and the heart. And the, then we get into the upper part of the body. And with women, it nearly always happens around change of life. The emotion... Oh the lower part of their body will move to the higher part of the body and really lives more, it, if in a secure woman, it lives more in the heart of the person. And that's when our creativity, it's usually our children are raised and we have a lot of intuition, we have a lot of desire to serve others, to care for others, to produce beauty, to make our world a better place. And this whole process begins with what we call our sexual energy. And it, sex becomes passion. And passion does, is not just limited to physical body passion. There's a passion in the emotional nation and the passion in the heart. And then eventually the passion in the mind and the mental body if you would begin to feel like whatever is in the physical body burns away the barrier into the emotional body and they work together, then the emotional barrier between the emotional and the mental burn away, they merge. And then it all begins to be uh, a spiritual flame, if I would say it that way. 
I have a booklet that I wrote about this to to try to bring a better understanding. But if we'll just think, the flame of our spiritual self that is uh, like the Holy Spirit has to come down and ignite one part of the kundalini. The flame in the earth has to come up and light the body. And the two have to work together to create the kundalini within us. And both the Holy Spirit and the, the sex energy in us has to work together to help these two to solidify. It's very hard to explain without a picture, but it is important that we've, we have sexual impulses, we have passion that serves a purpose in making us burn at whichever body is stimulated at a given time. And love is an absolute different thing than sex and passion. Love is lots of vital energy that flow through us all the time. It's like this abundance of resource. They're weaving these bodies together and the probably the most important thing I would say tonight is come to see love as the evolutional, evolutionary energy. Hmm. Whenever we're in love, we evolve something. Think about parents with a little baby. That baby doesn't care how tired they are, how sick they are, whatever. It, when it needs has needs, it just cries and cries. And the parents get up. It transforms those parents. They will sacrifice for that child. It's the same thing when all of our life, that love, whenever we are in love with something, a career, or when somebody wants a goal, they will just strain themselves. They transform themselves if they love their goal to get to it. And if we look at all the great things that are going on in our society and how people strive to become more, the effort they put into it is because they really love their goal. And love is the force that transforms us. And it, so I call it the evolutionary force that's at work within us. Wow. We had talked earlier, um, Dr. Parrish, about the five levels of love, and mm-hmm. I would love for you to kind of go over those five levels for our guests tonight and give them a bit of information about those levels. All righty. Think of arrows. I'm going to go up from the lower part of the body to the higher, thinking in terms of chakras in a little bit. But think eros is the uh, sexual impulse that within us. And then philios, philia is uh, like Philadelphia. This is brotherly love. That's our second level. Third is self-love. And you can't go to higher love until you have sex, sex, self-love. When you... When you learn to love yourself, and it's probably the hardest of all, 
we have to really go through a process. This is what a lot of people learn in in counseling, is to really regard themselves with with self-respect, care for themselves. So self-love is the bridge between the energy of the lesser self and the energy of the higher. The fourth level is humanitarian love, where the heart center begins to open and care. And then uh, agape is the divine love that comes down, that we that so inspires us, that keeps us moving in our life. So we have those five. Eros, and sometimes it's called humanos, but philios is what it's known as best, self-love, humanitarian love, and agape. And it's real important that we understand each kind of love works on us and with us and through us in different ways. Our little, our, our little self takes the um, more primitive, if I call that, the more instinctual levels of love. And the first one is an impulse. The sexual impulse is just working for the benefit of humanity. The second one, the brotherly love, the family love, is for the benefit of society. It's to weave us together and to make us, help us, help one another for survival self's sake. But then self-love is where we begin to differentiate, where we get over manipulating and not letting others manipulate us. We begin to understand our true self-worth. Humanitarian love is you can't love others until you learn to love yourself. You begin to understand. You know, one of the first principles that I was taught as a spiritual student was whenever you think you want something, realize that to want something, to really strive for it, you have to want others to have the same thing. It might be the idea of a perfect job or a good house. You have to want all people to have housing. You have to have want. If you want food and you recognize your need for food, you want all people to have food. And as soon as you begin to understand and expand that desire to benefit others just as much as benefiting yourself, your life can begin to flow in a different way. And I think that's part of the lessons of the heart center. And then then spirit can begin to talk to us and begin to work with us, and we become aware of it or able to be aware. I think spirit's working with us long before we're aware. I think everybody has a solar angel and everybody has a helper. We're not really alone. But we can't get in touch with it so much until we begin to see ourselves in such a way that that we're really a lover of humanity, that we care about others and what happens to them and what they need and that their needs be met. I think that's what we're trying to do right now is we're trying to help our society know that we have to care what happens to people elsewhere that are that are hungry or their needs aren't being met. And as we do this, more and more, 
that overflow of bountiful feelings is helping our country to be generous to other countries. And I think it's wonderful that events can be formed where a lot of people from different nations come together and learn from one another. I think we learn from them and they from us. And I think that is led by spirit, even when we don't use the word spirit when it's coming together. We might think it's an economic meeting, but I believe yeah. and I think should pray, you know, that spirit is leading that those kind of meetings, the leaders of the world. But that's that we pull it down by being generous and caring and being spirit-led individually, it begins to be spirit-led collectively. Beautiful. Thank you. I want to remind our our guest tonight is Dr. Carol Parrish. The number, if you would like to call and ask a question, is 213-559-2974. If you would like to ask a question, then just press the number one, and Tom will answer, and he will let us know that you're on the air. Um, The next question that I'd like to ask, uh, Carol, is that you have, um, today you insist that prayer and the life of spiritual disciplines and practices are as necessary today as they were in the past, and you talk about how discipline is a way of life and how discipline is the result of a better world. Can you speak more on that? Well, I think when we talk about discipline, what is really is a discipline is whenever we have to pull will into ourselves. And when we we bring that will into ourselves, we begin to form a kind of strength. And you have to have will so you can focus. When, when, as we evolve, our will works a great deal like a magnifying glass. We can, we put that glass over paper and get the sun in it. We can cause a fire. We can set fire to paper, to grass, whatever. Well, we're, it's the same way within us. We have a certain amount of obstacles born within us. We have a certain amount of resources. If we learn how to use will, we can burn away a great many of our difficulties. We learn how to focus, and we create, we take that little spark of desire that lives within us, and with willpower and with focus, we can take ourselves in any direction. Love is a discipline because love presents to us our challenges. But if we, you know, it doesn't make a difference what direction our challenge takes us if we hold ourselves to our goal. I often think that uh, love is a discipline because we have to live through the unpleasant times. We have to live through the work. We have to live through children being sick. We have to uh, meet our money challenges. All of those, living, learning to live within your uh, amount of income, these all take will. 
and to shape our life to have a goal, to decide whatever, we have to set a sense of will and love. Imagine your path in front of you and one side boundary is will, the other side is love. And you're going to walk your path right between those two. We have to care about ourselves. We have to care about others. We have to use willpower on ourselves, and we have to use self-restraint. Self, if you don't have any will, you don't have self-restraint. And, and so we are always kind of working our way between these two whether we're on a spiritual path or not, we need these forces, let's call them, to use on our journey through life in whatever field or whatever expression we particularly decide we're going to do. And so, but love is a discipline because as soon as you care about something, you begin to decide what value it has you have to decide how you're going to handle it, whether it is a marriage, a piece of property, or a career, creativity. You have to use will to be able to make the most of the opportunity. I hope that that is understood. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yes. yes, it was great. I um, What I tend to see within a lot of my clients, Carol, is that a lot of people talk about um, waiting to kind of totally and completely love until they find their um, twin flame or until they find their um, soulmate. Can you say anything about that? Do you believe in soulmates? Do you... I believe in soulmates, but I, do, I don't believe it is a romantic relationship. Okay. I think sometimes it might be, but that's rare. Most soulmates are someone is a mentor, uh, someone that opens a door for you. It may be they come in your life and really make your life rough, but they make you see a higher way or they move you in such a direction that you get on your path. So Soulmates are anyone within a certain range of your vibration and theirs that they can influence you in a beneficial way. There's a man named Russ Michael that wrote a book about this. And I met him, and I wanted to ask him about it. This was some years ago now. And he he made the remark to me, I married three of my soulmates. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, each of them moved me in my life. None of the marriages lasted. But they each moved me into alignment until I woke up and began to do spiritual work. Now, I don't believe we always marry our soulmates. I think sometimes it's an elderly person who steers Twenty or thirty-year-old younger person on their path. I believe it could be a master artist that inspired a younger artist. But what it is is being within a close enough vibrational range 
that they can contribute something to the you that lives within you the rest of your life. They Mm -hmm. gift you with a particular energy or inspiration or opportunity that makes your life better. Mm. And I Mm. believe we have, we've bent it to make it religiously, I mean, uh, romantically inclined. And I Uh don't believe it's meant to be that way. I believe it's it's broader than that. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I would agree. I would agree. Well, um, one of the things that I contacted you for, and I remember um, emailing you, and I said that I had noticed that you were writing a an e-book uh, and that was called Love is a Promise, a Discipline, and a Lifestyle, and that you have written three books, actually, or on your third book. The first one was called Esoteric Secrets of Sex, Love, and Passion. So can you tell us about these books and, and um, you know, if you were called again from Spirit to write these three, trilo- the, this book of trilogies for three books? I would like to, I hope to get the third one finished, but the first one was this idea of love is a promise, a discipline, and a lifestyle. And we can, you can think on those things and see how love does that. The second one was about uh, sex. The third one is I'd like to write a book on karmic lessons that would really, uh, I don't mean just my life. I'm not trying to say that. I'm saying the stories, the happenings that I have seen them uh, build and, and either resolve something or achieve something. But I think people have this idea about karma, but they don't see how it works in a real life. And I would like to collect a book full of stories and write a book about karma and recognize it's it's sometimes good and sometimes not so good. Karma can be the best thing to ever happen to us if it just moves us in the right direction. So I would like to have a trilogy, and I'd like to put them all together when in due time when I but I have not started the third one. I've got some other writing I'm doing, and until I get that finished, I can't get into the one about karma. But I would uh-huh. like to do that. That's my goal. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, um, one of the last questions is that I loved your definition of the mystical marriage, um, and that is when the personality becomes one with the soul. And you had written an article called Transformation, Transmutation, and Transfiguration. Can you tell us just a little bit about the mystical marriage? And Because I think that's a really, really important piece of our spiritual journey right now. I think it's, a, it's very important to begin to go back to this idea of soul infusion because people want to get on the spiritual path, but the discipline that it takes are, is really staying in the light of the soul. And the soul kind of burns away, if I can use that expression, the separating aspects of our nature. 
and transformation, our outer life has to change. We can't be the same person after we've awakened spiritually. And so we have this that's changed personality, and then we begin to move our uh, principal source, if I can say it that way, to this, this, we live regarding the higher part of our nature, that marriage that happens um, in, in being a changed kind of person. Our values are going to change. Simplicity generally begins to work its way into our life. And we begin to want clarity. As we build these certain attributes in ourselves. Uh, we find our life really transfiguring it. It really, uh, I don't know how to say how precious this really is as we make our way. But these three steps, transformation, trans, um, now I've lost my word. Transmutation. Transmutation is when the bodies actually change. Our spiritual bodies and the, the seven bodies actually begin to change. Each of the bodies have seven levels of energy, and they have to be almost um, blended together. And oh. then the bodies have to blend together. Is that transmuting process, all the skills change. And the person that has these kind of, let's say, capabilities at one time will have other capabilities as transmutation takes place. Then the transfiguration is really represented by our aura becoming, becoming more and more bright as these bodies change, as they transmute. It produces a higher energy field around us, and this higher energy field is really radiating out to ignite energy in other people. The, the, the guru, I hate to use that word because it alarms some people, but the guru is really to ignite energy in others, and the others are to become dedicated to their own spiritual self-growth. And as that happens for us, we really it's the same thing in the Bible where Jesus transfigured and showed his glory body. That's his radiance. And that major experience, our experiences will be different. But, but if we hold that as a point of contact that someday we want to be so radiant a being and then we have to do the work to earn it. Hmm. Hmm. I love that definition. I love that definition. I have uh, uh, one more phone call. This is for Chandra from Idaho. Again, I'm going to tap in okay. here. Chandra? Yes. Hello, my Hi. dear. Hello. Thank you for phoning back. You have a question for Carol? I do, Carol. Thank you for your your gift of this time and energy. Um, well, Dr. Parrish, I'm so inspired by oh, your well, path. 
Thank you very much. And I want. I'm very glad you called back. Yes. Well, thank you. I'm in the. Pro- I'm traveling as we speak, headed to a conference on human rights in northern Idaho, where I'm presenting a paper on women and human rights. And I've been Wonderful. listening to you. My work has been with for 50 years. I'm delighted. Well, I was so delighted to learn of you and begin exploring your your research, your writings, your wisdom, your dharma, if you will. Thank and you. And when I saw the invitation to have a even a moment to speak with you in this space, I could not not do it. So I'm on the side of the highway. <laughs> okay. Thank <laughs> you, ma'am, for your efforts. Um, but Dr. Parrish, I, I feel like I'm in a monumentally pivotal time in my life. I'm a I have a PhD in history and I have been teaching history for fifteen years and I've come to a moment where I swear I can't do it one more day. I have never come so to this moment of this is not it and I'm I'm being called in other ways. Most recently, (laughs) I have been in residence in a monastery. We are a Taoist order in the Mahayana (laughs) Buddhist tradition. I took up the robes, I shaved my head, and I've taken the vows of a bodhisattva. Mm -hmm. And then last summer, the council of the monastery thought it appropriate for me to make a decision and leave one path and not the two I have been doing, teaching and monastic, because they're both full-time jobs. Uh-huh. And so I chose, I chose my job. And this year, I have, this, this was in June, so this year I'm in the second semester of return, you know, back to school, and my heart is called to the monastic life. I love mm-hmm. the regimen, I love the prayer, I love the discipline focus, I love the community. I love lending my energy, my efforts in prayer intention and sacred spaces and and I just feel so called to do that. And I just I is this a calling or is this a longing and a broken heart that remains? And so I'm I want to what I want to do is I want to quit my job, I want to return to the monastery, I want to write my books. I have one I already wrote. It is waiting to run through press. I have so many ideas, and I'm, I'm at this very fearful time of giving up my job. I've been at this university for 10 years, mm-hmm. and I just feel like I'm done. And if I'm done there, where, where, where am I going? What is next? Well, I thank so I, you. Can I? I think you have to quit your job because it's hurting you. We can it only is. serve something until it begins mm-hmm. to turn on us. It, it weakens us after it arcs out. Oh, and I, I had to leave my job. I worked for a corporation, uh-huh. and I had to go to seminary and work and raise my children, all that. But the uh-huh. time came, and... I had to leave my job, and I didn't know how I was going to feed my family. I uh-huh. was divorced with a, a large number of children. I had eight children. Uh-huh. And that's when I I quit, and I was ordained, and I started working. And in due time, I spent 30 years teaching in a seminary, pastor of a uh-huh. church, loved every minute of it, had a stroke yeah. and retired. 
Now I got better, and I came Mm -hmm. back, and uh, I'm now a bishop in a free Catholic Uh movement. But I have followed spirit, and I tell you, it is scary. It is scary. Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. scared to death, but Mm -hmm. I was scared to life. (laughs) And I knew it was mine to do. Because okay. there, it gets where you can't breathe in that environment. It's all the oxygen is out of it. I know. Oh, I know. Yes. Yes. And so it's, so it's my- really um, life-saving. It's your life you're saving by saying, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I've gone as far mm-hmm. as I can. I've got to do something mm-hmm. else. My path is changed. Yes. But Dr. Harris, would my path take mm-hmm. would my path take me to the monastery or will it unfold in a way like yours has? I would certainly tell you to look at your Catholic upbringing. There is something about going full circle. If you look at it and it doesn't meet your need, don't uh-huh. go any further. But there is mm-hmm. something about going full circle that is a, has its own spiritual reward. And okay. I think you found that you are meant for that kind of life, but that doesn't necessarily mean in that place. Do you see oh. what I'm saying? Yes. yes. I think, I, think mm-hmm. I would look at that, give it a chance, because uh-huh. people like you, that if that much, you're a resource, you're a resourceful mm-hmm. person, and you mm-hmm. can, and you can push the women of this country further mm-hmm. with what's your background. You're, it's just uh-huh. another step. But I, I would certainly advise you. And if I will give you my personal phone, you can find me on the internet. We can talk mm-hmm. more if you'd like to. And I talk more about how you might see yourself in a new setting or try it for on for size. I'm not committing you. I don't want you to sure. feel committed. Sure. I want you to sure. feel like the world is your oyster. <laughs> that's uh-huh. the way to that's beautiful. It. Thank you. Thank you mm-hmm. very, very much. I You're will certainly welcome. All right. Very, thank you. Thank you, Chandra, for phoning back. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Carol, we have Uh uh, more questions from other people, but our time is running out, and I would love to have you back on the program at some time. I also would love, when you are in Minnesota and you're um, visiting Minneapolis, if you feel at all called to come and do any type of program at the Hope Interfaith Center, because when you were talking about this mystical marriage and mm-hmm. the process of that trans I'm going to start crying again, that transformation, transmutation, transfiguration, this is what I have yearned for. This is what so many of my clients and students have yearned for, to pledge their a refined personality to the soul, to allow the soul to move to their personality. So I would 
love to have you come to uh, our temple at the Hope Interfaith Center and do a, a class here for our group. So um, thank you for the invitation, and I I will I do plan sometime this summer to get up there. I have a, a daughter there and some grandchildren, and I'd like to come up. So I will be in touch with you about that. Wonderful, wonderful. If we, if our guests have more questions and they would like to know how to get a hold of you, um, I have right here, I'll say it to our guests tonight, www.carolparish.com. And I'm going to spell that C-A-R-O-L-E-P-A-R-R-I-S-H.com. And this is a number that they can call. Um, may I give that out, Dr. Parrish? Um, you may. Okay, that number is 918-453-2050. I'm going to give that out again. Nine one. Okay, yep, 918-453-0250. Correct. Correct? Good. Yes, ma'am. Well, my dear Carol Parrish, once again, I'd like to thank you for agreeing to do this program with me tonight. It's truly been an honor and a delight. I admire you even more now than I did, and so I just... Um, I just thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for joining us tonight. Thank you for inviting me, and I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for all. Good night. Thank you for all for tuning in. Please pass this program on to those that you love. The time for putting away that which no longer serves you is now. The time for beginning to build the fundamental structures that will support you is now. The role that you have chosen to play in these times to come, this time of change, it is time now. And the time for polishing that essence, purifying your essence, and preparing that essence to serve the light without any reservation, it is now. And to know without question that love is the way. It is now. So keeping this on the forefront of life, that love is the way, I know that you will be able to withstand the difficulties and the obstacles that might come your way or thrown in your path. I believe that as you keep your vibration and your frequency high, which I mean, for me, that means living your authentic truth will float you above the chaos. So do not let anyone to dissuade you from your determination to be all that you can be by coming into your full spiritual awareness and then enacting that out in everyday life. Remember what Dr. Carol Parrish said, that love is a promise, a discipline, and a lifestyle. Um, Until we meet again, may you all receive this information with an open heart and open mind so we can all fulfill the divine plan at hand. Um, If you are liking this program, I invite you to join me next month. We will be having Christine Day will be my guest. She is also a teacher, a mentor, an author, and an ambassador for the Pleiadians. So I invite you all to tune in once again uh, for our March program. 
If you are wanting to know more about the Hope Interfaith Center, please go on our brand new website, which will be up, uh, www.hopeinterfaithcenter.com. Or you can become friends with us on Facebook, or you may contact us at 507-0738612425073861242. I just once again thank you all for joining us. Thank you for our callers. It also makes it a wonderful time to get in contact with people who are across the nation listening to the Pure Hope Show. Namaste, namaste, namaste. Thank you for tuning in to Pure Hope by Rev. Janice Hope Gorman. And until next time, remember that true greatness consists in being great in the little things. Be kind. Be gentle. Be loving. Be true.